to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob. It's, it's like the ultimate metaphor for life, right? No matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering, because suffering, you, you do suffer in these things. And there's, no matter how much pain or suffering that I was in in that moment, I found something to keep moving forward. And it was as simple as one step at a time. Like um, another thing that used to go through my mind was like this, this, this moment right now, this is the new normal, no matter what, no matter what pain you're in right now, this is, this is now your reality deal with it like I, I wasn't going to give up I wasn't going to because giving up and failing it wasn't an option I failed my rugby career I failed I, I failed folks when I finished my 100 miler I was happy to be done but I wasn't finished the reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus it simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs, and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR Lotion, I now use their plant-based protein collagen peptides and recovery formula look if performing is important to you do yourself a favor go to livemomentous.com and for listening today you get the best part a discount enter code drb20 for 20 percent off your order that's drb and the number 20 livemomentous.com optimize perform and recover livemomentous.com so our guest today is from wales uh first welshman we've actually had on the podcast he's been a professional rugby player since 2009 and played for the welsh u20 national team in 2019 after a trip to bali started his own company cocabana and that was named after coconut, cacao, and banana. I'll let him tell the story, but entails, you know, creating coconut bowls, straws, spoons, fantastic entrepreneurial story. In 2020, he ran his first ultra, which is the UK 125. And this year in 2022, his goal is to complete the entire Ultra X 250K races, which is five of them. It's yet to be accomplished. So his goal is to raise 25,000 for Big Moose, which provides mental health care and intervention for individuals. He's finished one of the 250K races thus far, Sri Lanka, which, which he will tell about. And he has four more this year, Slovenia, Wales, Jordan, and Mexico. Our guest, I'm really excited about this, gets a lot in detail. Lewis Robling. Lewis, my man, how you feeling, buddy? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Um... A little bit nervous. I'm going to be honest. I'm feeling a little bit like a, 
like an imposter already. <laughs> oh, get out of here. I and don't then, believe it, man. Oh, but I mean, you tell you tell those things that I've done. It's 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 nice to sometimes hear you say things like that or hear people say what you've accomplished because it's it's not very often you actually go back and and uh, kind of relive and remember what you've achieved. So no, thank you for that. Great stuff. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. Um, so I mean, hinge moments, right? The the person event that makes all the difference in our lives, and you have some. Sp- some pretty big ones before we get into like 2019 in Bali, which was, which is a hinge moment. Um, like you were an athlete growing up. You, you were one of those athletes, right. That was just good at everything. Weren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I know. I know it, man. We, yeah. had, we didn't have this conversation before you were an athlete that was good at everything. Talk to us about the rugby career, man. How that, how that kind of took place. Sure. I mean, um, I mean, I grew up in Wales. I'm Welsh and rugby is kind of the main sport in Wales. And, and, every young kid wants to become a professional rugby player and play for the country. Um, and I mean, I was lucky enough to do it. It started, I started very young, um, played school level up kind of under 11s, um, had a few different experiences playing in school, um, had trials for kind of East Wales when I was 11, didn't quite make it then. Um, and kind of fell out of love with it a little bit until it was reintroduced because I was football mad as well. I mean, from six years old all the way to under 14s, I was football crazy, um, probably supported about six different teams, your classic glory supporter. Um, and uh, it got to a stage where all of my friends from back home, where I was from, started then playing for the local rugby team um, in Killian. And we spent a season where a lot of us would play football and rugby all season. So Saturday afternoon football, Sunday morning rugby. And it got to the it got to the point where we had to choose because it was just too much. We couldn't we couldn't do it. And um, bit the bullet and uh, started playing rugby, only rugby, and and stopped playing football. And I realised very quickly that I was I came into the team um, as an outside half, who's kind of the key playmaker, a little bit like um, American football quarterback type of type of thing and um I remember my coach my coach at that time was actually really influential um it's a guy called Chris Cornford and he wasn't the most knowledgeable um in terms of the game of rugby and, and, and understanding the game but what he did and it was probably the only time in my career I had this experience is he was able to empower us as teenagers to, to, to go and play our own game and it was the, the best, and like to this day, the best man management I have ever experienced. So he, I remember he used to give me, um, he used to have a, like a, a one-on-one chat with more or less everyone before the game. I mean, his speech to me was he used to give me an imaginary key and he used to say, right, I'm going to pass you over the keys now. He used to shake my hand, pass me the key. And he said, look, the game is yours. Unlock the door, play what's in front of you, and just do your thing. And that kind of sense of him, that was a, really empowering as a 15, 16-year-old kid. And it turns out that we we didn't lose a game in two years, that our, our team. And I have no doubt it was because of him. But off the back of that, because we're in a good team, um, I got picked up by the local region. Um, and from 16 then was was in kind of the academy. Um, used to go to go to go to train three times a week before school, um, 6 a.m. weights. Uh, Mum and dad dropping me off until I could drive. Um, and used to train then twice a week in the evenings as well. So from such a young age, 16 years old, it felt like I was professional anyway. And, and it took a lot of sacrifice and whatnot to, to get to that top level. But that's that's kind of how it started. And I followed the system all the way through until 
eventually um I made my first kind of I saw my first contract professional contract when I was 17 but then didn't play until I was kind of 18 90 then for uh, the professional team but yeah that's kind of how the journey went I dig it man um so talk to us then man about you know 2019 and, and your trip to Bali <laughs> okay so I'd never I mean what one of the, I mean rugby's fantastic right? I, I was very very lucky to have played um 10 years from kind of 17 18 all the way up to 28 years old I, I, I had a fantastic like time as an athlete I didn't achieve I didn't achieve what I wanted to um as a professional which as much as I played for my country at under 20s level um I I didn't achieve what I wanted to as a, as a professional and and that that still weighs quite heavy on me now I'll, I'll be honest and, and um, what was what was that I wanted to play for my country like at the senior level and for whatever reason be it injury be it selection um I didn't quite get there and it it's hard to think about now I mean I don't really have the words to to describe it it's it's that I never quite made it essentially and that's part of what drives me now to become to make the most of everything that I'm doing now it really does it, it weighs heavy so I'm using I almost flip that feeling on its head to use it to drive me forward now and whatever I do in the future so when I uh in 2019 when I I mean when I went to Bali my point about rugby is I never got to travel the world there we go I'm fast forwarding a bit with the point of rugby I never got to travel the world so in 2019 uh, my girlfriend and I we uh we jumped on a flight um and it was the first time i'd ever seen kind of a new culture a new people a new place um it I was so just just inspired by everything i mean the culture was one of um gratitude there were um checkered flags that would um honor the good and the bad spirits everything was about balance people were smiling people were happy um to the point where every morning that the roads were filled with flowers and um, there were small little banana leaf offerings um, on the doorstep of every house without fail with an incense stick burning as a sign of karma. And I'd never seen that type of culture before. Um, and it really kind of stuck with me. But throughout that trip, there was a, uh, and this was a time I was 27, 28. I'd, I'd fallen out of love with rugby because of various reasons. Um, injury being one of them, like a couple of nasty concussions, which really does affect your mindset i wasn't going into to contact 100 and it was it was almost like i'm not sure if i'm i'm not sure if i'm ready to like risk my life um for the sake of the sport um and yeah so from when we were in bali then um we we had just the best time and throughout the trip i was obviously because i was out of love with rugby a little bit I was looking for something. I was, I was actively looking for something. I, I was training and I, I did some exams as an accountancy as I was playing. So I was looking for a way out. We went to Bali and I fell in love with coconuts. Um, I think throughout the whole trip, I had about 50 odd coconuts. Um, coconuts are everything there, right? Oh, the first time I've ever, ever had a, a fresh young coconut. It's just absolutely amazing. And it became a running joke that we have in every single day. And I remember being sat in a, um, sat in a cafe on, on one of the islands, Gilead. And uh, I had a smoothie bowl in front of me. And on the top of that smoothie bowl was desiccated coconut, cacao nibs, and then fresh banana. And I looked at it and I just I had a moment. I was just, ah, oh. and you can picture it now. You've got um, 
palm trees all around you, a gorgeous pool, the sun's out. You're just in paradise and you don't want that yeah. feeling to end. So I remember looking down at my bowl and thinking, oh, cocabana, coconut cacao banana. And I said it to Steph. She looked at me silly. Uh, Steph's my girlfriend. She looked at me silly. She said, what are you want about? I said, I just, like cocabana. Like, this is such a nice feeling. And I didn't really think any, anything about it at the time. Um, and fast forward kind of a few months in, I had the idea to, to try and recreate that feeling uh, and bring it back, bring it back to the UK, recreate some sort of, version of paradise back home and I mean, my, my entrepreneurial skills. I mean, I, I'd been a professional rugby player, sure, but I had no idea about how to start a business or what. And uh, yeah, used that inspiration to, to kind of recreate that feeling. And, and I thought, well, where do we start? We start with coconuts. Um, and the three months deep dive into Google started and, and, and managed to kind of create a business selling coconut balls based on the ethos of sustainability. Um, um put in nature first um and it's also worth noting that my girlfriend is vegan um and i mean i was a, i was a carnivore before and i, I, I was omnivore I'd, I'd eat meat um but ever since we started dating um i would eat what she ate and i started to love the food that she's eating i said to her, um a few months before we went out to bali i said okay well let's give this thing let's give this plant-based lifestyle a go like i might as well do it in bali what better place to do it um and you can imagine the, re and you can kind of guess the rest of the story. I went out a stereotypical rugby playing kind of carnival and came back a spiritual vegan, mm. <laughs> wearing wearing the trousers. And and yeah, I mean, it, I further pigeonholed myself when I started the business because it was based on the ethos of sustainability and and putting nature first and whatever. But um, it was it was a trip that really changed my life um, in in every in every way. Um, so yeah, I. I I went off on a bit of a bit of a tangent then, but um, it, there's no, a lot. No, 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 it was perfect, man. Because if you didn't add the veganism in there, I was going to add it. So it was, it was yeah. great, man. I love it. Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website drrobbell.com and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment. Yeah. And, and we'll put all the links, man, especially to your company uh, in there. And so progressing through your journey chronologically. Um, so then COVID hits 2020 and that was the first time then you did the four by four by 48 challenge 2020. yeah so yeah so Great. In, i mean covid was covid was a difficult time for me um i decided that when covid hit i was going to retire as a professional athlete like i mentioned already um the sport wasn't serving me anymore. I wasn't finding that sense of fulfillment. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was moving forward in my life and something was missing. And it had been for a good few years. And I felt like COVID was maybe the sign and that was the kicker to, okay, it's time to move on here. It's time to go all into this e-commerce business and give it all of my attention. And at first, at first it went really well. And, and I, I felt a sense of freedom um, knowing that everything that I had was going into this business and, and it went great to start with. And COVID was actually really successful in the sense that um, people were at home, people were buying online um, and it went well. But the, the problem was, is that I didn't realize how much I'd struggle with 
my identity. Um, for the last, however, since since 15 years old, basically, I was I was a rugby player, Lewis the rugby player, Lewis the professional athlete. And, and now that was pulled away from underneath my feet. And couple that with the fact that we were locked down in COVID um, where I had no access to equipment, couldn't go to the gym. Um, I, had, I had no outlay to, to, to let off that competitive kind of steam that, that builds up. So I turned to running. Um, and I remember my first run was a half marathon because that's the type of guy I am, all or nothing, as you can probably tell. Nice and yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I got and I realized I got injured. I got injured very quickly. Did the half marathon, completed it, but um, end up didn't run in. I didn't run for three weeks afterwards because my my ankle was knackered. So that was a little bit of a lesson in itself. Um, you'd think I'd learn it, but you'll find out in a minute. I didn't learn it. Um, so yeah, that, then because there was nothing else to focus on, there's nothing else like to use my kind of that, that competitiveness I had. I started running more and more, and it got to a point in April where. Um, unfortunately, my girlfriend's granddad passed and uh, from Alzheimer's um, and Steph was meant to run the London Marathon for Alzheimer's Research UK that April and it was obviously postponed. Um, and at the time, I, I thought to myself, I have to, I have to do something about, about this. Like her, she was in a, she was obviously in a bad way. The, the family was in a bad way. I thought, I need to do something to give back. Um, and at the time, I'd started reading um, David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me. Um, and that really inspired me as well. It had a massive impact on on my mindset and and the decisions I was making, and and also the way it impacted on my business as well. I was able to kind of grit through a lot of things that were going on. Um, and I saw that he did this four 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 eight challenge, which was run four hours, um, four miles every four hours, four to eight hours. I thought I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. One. Yep. I'm going to raise money, and I'm just going to go for it. Um, so created a mini training plan just using common sense um started by running back-to-back four-hour runs then it just built it up gradually over kind of a four-week period and i thought right okay in four weeks oh, time so you, you trained for it that's smart man yeah oh yeah, i never I, i've never even thought about that yeah we well we had time right we had, yeah. we had all the time we had all the time in the world so very good um i gave myself four weeks i gave myself a deadline and i said right this is the day i'm doing it and because because it was aligned with running for a higher purpose I found all the I found all the motivation, all the drive in the world to be able to get up uh, and train at four a.m. and and be outside in the middle of the road where no one else was willing to. Like this was the goggins in my head that was kind of telling me I need to do these things to prepare for it. And what the amazing thing was that when when the time came to run the actual challenge, man, I breezed it. It was I was I was really fit. I was prepared. I had systems in place. It meant I can just enjoy enjoy the whole experience. And we ended up raising 10 grand in a weekend. And it, I gained so much from that, those two days. I mean, not only did I prove to myself that I could do something I never, I, I couldn't do before, um, the, the process of training for it, the, the attention to detail, like creating tick lists, laying my kit out. It was, it was the detail and it was the process that I stuck to. And, and then couple that with the fact that I'd raised 10 grand for, for those that need it and potentially help save lives or find a cure to a disease that is taking the lives of so many like that, that you can imagine the kind of the emotion that was attached to it. So after that experience, I knew that running, I wanted running to be a little bit more of a part of my life, um, but I didn't know where to go. Um, so then <laughs> shall I carry on? <laughs> yeah. I was going to lead you right into it, man, but yeah. yeah, go ahead, man. That year. I mean, that's, that's the ultra X. 
yeah this is this was the year and um i mean that that challenge was in june so off the back of that there was nowhere else to go i didn't know whether i was gonna stop running altogether whether i was just gonna do it for fun whether i was gonna run a marathon i didn't i didn't know and i didn't really think about it because i was straight back into the business where i was on my own as a loan director trying to run a company that really it wasn't serving me um as much as it, i loved i loved what i built it wasn't serving me and there was a lot of struggles that i had with loneliness um used to being in a team sport and, and trying to get up every day and do that and hold myself accountable if i'm really tough especially when i'm not used to, i wasn't used to being stuck but like behind a screen for 24 7. so an opportunity arose in that august um a friend of steph's got in touch and said right does lou fancy a challenge and before before she even I knew she'd work for I knew she worked for a company that was involved with running and ultramarathons. And before I even knew what the challenge was, I said I, I knew it was yes, um, because I not only did I need. Not only did I well, I could feel felt like I needed a challenge. On reflection, I knew that I, I needed something to run away from what I was facing in the business. Um, which was a multitude of things affecting my sense of self-worth. Um, and, and a plethora of other things but anyway i said yes to this challenge and it was four and a half weeks until the race itself Love it. um and the race itself was 125k ultramarathon in the peak district with four and a half thousand meters of climbing um and i knew nothing i knew nothing about ultramarathon running i knew nothing about training for it um i had i know the basics of training i mean i've been an athlete all my life so i knew i knew weight training i knew speed training i knew everything to do with strength hypertrophy you name it i i loved it but running long distances, I didn't have a clue. So I remember there was four weeks before the race and every weekend would be a long run. Uh, and the long run, the first weekend, I remember it, it was 18 kilometers, 27 kilometers and 40 kilometers. And they were the three runs that I'd done before, before racing until then tapering for until the, the race. And I didn't practice really eating and running. I didn't practice so many different things. So when the time came and I got to the start line, I had no idea what was coming. I had no idea what was coming. It ended up being the two toughest days of my life, physically. And so it was a two-day event, though? It was a two-day event. Okay, great. 75K on day one uh, with 2,500 metres of climbing, and then 50K on day two with about 1,900 metres of climbing. What's, and, what, stand, what stands out, my man? What's interesting is that when I think back to this race, I remember that, that my fondest memories are the moments that I found part of myself where I didn't think didn't think I could. Like it was like it was the moments where I I thought I couldn't give up or I couldn't move forward. It was the moments where I thought I was about to give up. It was halfway up a climb, my legs screaming, hammy, slightly torn, yet. I found it within me to just keep moving forward one step at a time. And it's, it's like the ultimate metaphor for life, right? It, no matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering because suffering, you, you do suffer in these things. And there's no matter how much pain or suffering that I was in, in that moment, I found something to keep moving forward. And it was as simple as one step at a time. Like, um, Another thing that used to go through my mind was like this, this, this moment right now, this is the new normal, no matter what, no matter what pain you're in right now, this is, this is now your reality. Deal with it. Like I, I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to, because giving up and failing, 
it wasn't an option. I failed my rugby career. I failed. Right. I, I failed. I had 10 years at a, a professional level and I failed. And in my mind, there was no, there was no fucking way I was going to fail this. No matter, because I, like I pulled my hammy on day one and I ran 50K day two with a torn hammy, but still, and I had every right, I had every right to stop, but there was this drive that I found deep within, like my, my why was so strong. And my why was to prove that to myself that I could, that I can, that I am worthy. Even though I didn't make it as a professional, like even though I was a professional, even though I didn't really make it and I failed my career, which is the way I was thinking about it. There was no way I was failing in this moment. So the moment you said what stood out, it was those moments that stood out mm -hmm. um, where your mind goes to a place that you don't know, you don't know it can go. Um, and in the peak district, man, when you're finishing that race, walk us through that, that moment too, that mountaintop moment. Um, elation, emotion, like a, you've never felt before. A, a lot of it is relief that it's over. Um, but also there's this feeling of elation that you have set, you've, you've, you've completed what you set out to do and, and you were able to overcome adversity that you never thought you could. Um, I remember hitting the last checkpoint with five take five K to go. And we just done our last climb. Um, and it was a gorgeous day in the peak district and loads of families were out walking their dogs and whatnot. And all of a sudden I, I get to the top of the peak and I can see the campsite in the, in the distance. And I've never experienced this before, but I see the campsite in the distance. And all of a sudden this wave, this wave of emotion rushes through me and I start crying. I, I've, I've never, never felt that before. And I remember being in tears running across this, like the last, the last ridge, seeing the campsite in the distance because I knew the end was coming. You know, and I knew that I'd done it. I knew that it was like this, wave of positive emotions all, all pain in my body went it was just became a blur that 5k went by in a like in a blink of an eye but you can just imagine being like people walking their dogs on that sunny sunday afternoon and seeing a grown man <laughs> crying his eyes out running across the peak district but like you can't control it and the same the same thing happened running through that finish line running through that blue arch in like as you run through the finish line Firstly, you find energy from somewhere. So you sprint finish every time. Oh, it's, it's hilarious. Every time right. you find something from somewhere that sprint finish, and then you cross the finish line, you have maybe a moment or two of kind of like, like, um, like this, this, um, not numbness, but there's, there's a moment or two where it, you kind of stop and it, you process what's going on. And then the same thing happens. I, I just imagine, I can just remember this flood of emotion coming through and I had to take myself away because it's uncontrollable. But that feeling is so powerful that no matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering you've been through during that, during that experience, you would do it all again in an instant just for that feeling. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. No, I love it, man. I love the description and, and how you go inward with your journey with that, man. So let's, let's use this as an analogy, right? So you're running on the ridge, mountaintop moment. And then after that race is done, you kind of talked about even before, right? Kind of running away from things, you know, um, <clears throat> I don't know if we call it depression, but I mean, you were dealing with, with business, um, with death, with loss. And then you started to struggle after that race. We, we all come back down off that mountain. And then when we're in that valley, I think that's always the tough time, but walk us through then your experience with, you know, with, with the low. Um, 
I think most people know will, will will know that after you experience a really really high high, there's it's the same as post holiday blues. There's always there's always a low period, and I think because I'd experienced a high that I'd never felt before, there was naturally going to be a little bit of a lull. But I don't think I expected it to be as low as it was, and and you compound that with the fact that I'm going back to face a reality that I don't want to be in. Like I'm alone all day every day, working on a business that's failing. Really, um, it's not serving me. Um, that I'm not enjoying that put me in a lot of debt to start with, I'm gonna be completely honest. Um I was searching for something to, to run away to, and, and I found myself, like you said, I, I found myself at the lowest I'd ever been, even though I just accomplished something that I never thought I could do. I, I couldn't understand why what was going on. And I think one of the most powerful lessons we talk about lessons like always love to reflect on these experiences and what I've learned and whatnot. Like I mentioned earlier about the, the ultra being the, the ultimate analogy for life in terms of moving forward. I'd actually say the most powerful lesson above that was the fact that I realized I couldn't keep running away from those feelings that I would, I, that I was feeling that I had to face them. I had to face them head on. And the only way to face them head on was to kind of reach out for help. And, um, yeah, it's, um, vulnerability is something that I was never, I'm, I, I don't show, or I didn't show, um, because of the nature of my job, um, the nature of being a man, um, grew up in a culture where being like, kind of like being a man meant to be strong, meant not to talk about your feelings, meant like the amount of times that I've, I've been been told to man up or to stop being soft or the amount of times I've told other um some of my other mates to, to man up and stop being soft like you you don't realize that you're saying these things when you're not aware of it and I mean going back to the vulnerability piece that like, uh, being vulnerable was I didn't know how to do it so knowing that I would have to like compounding kind of the, the low with the fact that if I need to reach out for help I need to be vulnerable again it was just it was so tough. And um, I remember I remember having a conversation with um, Chloe Smith. Now, Chloe, Chloe works for a charity called Big Moose. And we met them back in um, December 19, Christmas. Um, and Jeff and Chloe, father and daughter, founded this char charity in honour of, of Jeff's friend Gary Cloonan, um, who died of cancer. And short, long story short, they um they wanted to do something to change the world um and, and and not waste not waste this opportunity to do good so they ended up volunteering in a homeless um shelter realized that they were just putting a plaster on the problem so decided to start a cafe and then they used their their profits from the cafe to pay to train um homeless people to be baristas and offer them job skills and provide therapy um they very quickly realized that providing therapy was the most powerful thing that they they were doing so um fast forward again another couple of years the profits from that charity now are used to pay for early intervention therapy for those that need it so it's a really amazing charity but uh, anyway going back to my stories chloe reached out and she could tell something was she she could tell something was up um and she asked me a question she said look you know you know the help is here if you need it. Um, like if 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 you want to speak to Graham, Graham was one of their one of their counselors. 
Um, if you need to speak to Graham, he, he's here if you need it. And my instant reaction was, no, no, don't be silly. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, need, I don't need that help. Like, it, it, classic, you're, you're a man, you don't show that, that weakness. Um, and I sat on it. I sat on that feeling for, for a couple of weeks and, and realised that those feelings were not going away. I was using different tactics to, to, I was watching Netflix more. I was, I was choosing, I was, I was procrastinating a lot. I, and I was running more again to try and run away from, from what, what I was facing on a daily basis. And I thought, this is not right. I need to do something about it. So I, I ended up reaching out for help and it was the hardest thing I ever did. Um, like emotionally, um, the ultras physically, but reaching out and speaking up and having the courage to say something, um, was, yeah, was tough. But, um, what, what was the moment that made the the choice for you to man to, to reach out? Do you know what I don't remember? I really don't remember it, that that period of time in between having the conversation and having my first therapy session in December. Um, I think there would have been a, probably a three three to four week gap between that. I don't okay. remember. So I'm then really, what? So then what was the process like, man? Like, how did you reconcile and how did you improve and get better through that? So I had four sessions in total and the process was to help me understand the feelings I was feeling, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Um, and I think from that understanding, I was able to make better decisions moving forward. So one of the one of the big ones was the fact that I was dealing with um, was was the business, it's the current situation that I was in. And my Graham, the, the counselor therapist I was speaking to, he's a qualified psychotherapist, but also a qualified life coach. So a lot of the work that I did with him was a combination of life coaching and therapy. And essentially in those four sessions, he was able to help me um, develop the tools not only to to take control of of those emotions that I was feeling and and, and help me um, understand them better, uh, to take action to to or to make me realise that I was enough, um, but also it was to help me get out of this um, predicament I was in with the business. Like, what can I do to move forward? How can I um, offload different tasks? How can how can we, like it, it was a it, there was a he gave me the tools to get out of my current situation. Now I, I, I know yeah. full well, those four sessions like changed my life, but I also know that I've got a hell of a lot more work to do. Sure. Um, being completely honest, I haven't been back to, to see a therapist since. Um, and I need to, and I'm, I'm guilty of putting it off as well, you know, because I want to go back and understand more. And I'm a big believer in, in when you understand, when you can go back and understand why you are the way you are, like, that's empowering in the same, in the same way, running an ultra marathon and being the only one accountable for whether you win or lose instead of being part of the team. That's, it's incredibly empowering understanding your mind and like at a, at a deeper level, understanding and going back and reliving those experiences you might've had that influence you the way you are now, man, that's going to change your life. Um, and I know that I still have that work to do. Now I have a pretty good idea what, why I am the way I am. But I still think that going back and having those conversations um, with a qualified professional yeah. um, will be even more impactful. I hope so that makes well, sense. So let me ask you a question, man, because you can post and again, your Instagram profile, I think is awesome. There's going to be, but like we can go and we can look at exactly what you do for recovery, 
and what you do to build leg strength in the gym. Like, give us one thing about like the therapy, like what was the biggest technique? Because again, not feeling good enough, we're procrastinating. What, what, like, what was the technique that helped you out the most? Action. It was, it was, it was, it was relentless action. Um, awareness is nothing on its own. Awareness is, is nothing. You can be aware of everything, but if you don't act on it, then nothing changes. So the key to change was action. And what you found that when you did act, be it the smallest of things, be it writing a to-do list, um, be it ticking off that to-do list each day, like the, the act of something, every time you do something that you say you're going to do builds trust. You build trust in yourself to keep moving forward. So as small as it needs to be, the biggest thing I took from it was that, look, being aware of these things is fantastic and understanding them is fantastic. But without moving forward, without actually taking that one step at a time, you're not going to facilitate change. You're not going to change your current circumstance. You're not going to become the person that you, you have the potential to be. Um, and there's a quote, there's a few quotes that um, Graham gave me. And um, my favorite was that they really kind of hit home with me. It's like, what is, Lewis, what is Lewis capable of doing, creating, and becoming? And I used to reflect on that question a lot, and I still do. I still use that all the time. Mm -hmm. um, like, what am I capable of doing? What am I capable of creating and becoming? Like, who, who does that person look like? What does it look like? What, what does he do to the world? And that, if you, can, if you can see that and visualize that, another great tool was another tool that I learned. But if you can see the person that you, you want to be or you can see your potential, then you can work backwards from that as well mm -hmm. yeah. um, and start to implement actions yep. um, to get there. But it's hard, to, it's hard to know exactly what the key lesson, but I think action was definitely up there. Okay. I love it, man. And so that parlays into 2022 right? The, the ultra X. I mean, you're doing yeah. something that has not, I don't even know if it's been attempted, but it definitely hasn't been completed, but five, 250 K races all across the world, wherever you want to start, man, delve into that one. Cause I, yeah. I love the yeah. challenge. I love the yeah. badassness about it, but walk us through. Yeah. Okay. So I, <laughs> it's ironic really, because I used ultra running to run away from what I was facing. Um, but now I've, I'm choosing to use it. Like having be, become aware of that now, I'm now choosing to run towards these challenges um, from a from a different place of understanding, like, knowing what I'm going into, knowing what my goal is, and knowing what the challenge is going to be. But um, the reason for the five 250Ks, firstly, is because no one's done it. Um, Ultra X have been fantastic to me. They've supported me. So I'd like to give something back to Ultra X, but also, 2021 when i started getting into ultramarathons I, I wasn't i was running for i was running for me and i need to do that i was running to prove to myself that i need to do something could i was let me reframe that i was running because i needed to prove to myself that i could achieve what i set out to achieve so now 2022 i actually spoke up about my mental health on social media and that was a huge thing for me um because Another thing, I was I was never at the point where I was going to take my own life. I was never at the point where I was, where I felt like I would self harm. You know, I, I wasn't. I was never in that, a really dark place. But at the same time, I still needed to reach out, and I wanted to to show people that you don't have to be at rock bottom to reach out for help. 
Like you don't have to be, I feel really lucky that I reached out before that I even got to that stage. It's, it, I was, I was proactive with my mental health and that, and that is something that I felt really um, nervous, worried about sharing out the fear that someone would judge me for it, you know? Um, so I reached I, I, anyway, I posted on social media that I, that I'd had, um, that I had therapy in 2020 and the reaction was fantastic. Um, everyone was so supportive and I hope that it inspired other people to potentially do the same and reach out for help or, or speak about it more because we need to speak about it more. Um, so going back to the challenge is the challenge is now running towards these, this, my mental health, but also aligning it with, with a higher purpose and the higher purpose is big moose. Um, I mentioned very quickly earlier that they use their profits to pay for early intervention therapy for those that need it, need it just like they help me. Um, I mean, so far this year, for example, they've, they've seen over 70 people, um, six of those people have, have given testimonials to save, save their life. So the help is needed. And I know that in every race that I do now and every hundred pound that I, that I raise, that's paying for an hour of therapy for someone that could potentially save someone's life. So, I mean, I, I mentioned about motivation for the 4448, the same applies here. I wanted to do something that I, that scares me because you should do the things that scare you. Um, be it jumping on a panel, speaking about your mental health or attempting a challenge that you don't think you, you might achieve. It needs to be scary. Um, so yeah, I, th I, I mean, that, that's where I'm at is that the five two hundred and fifty k's to run head on into my own mental health, but also to raise awareness for big moose and to raise funds to potentially save people's lives. Um, I hope I've done that justice there. <laughs> no, 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 it's great, man. And if you've already done one, man, like Sri Lanka. Yeah, yeah that one. I mean, just talk to us about the challenges and the struggles with that one. Um, I was naive enough to think that Sri Lanka would be the easiest one of the lot because <laughs> it was flat. Because it was flat, yeah. yeah. No, it's flat. It was very, very flat. I think there's about 600 meters of elevation over the uh, over the five days, over the four days in the end, um, which I'll get into that in a second. But um, what I didn't expect is the heat and the humidity to be so brutal. The heat is one thing, because when it's dry heat, you can still breathe. But when you couple 95, 100% humidity with that heat, you feel like you're in a steam room that is you're overheating in a steam room, the door's locked. And the only way to breathe is to lie on the floor and suck the air from underneath the door. Like that's, that's right. how it felt. And yep. great description. Yeah, it's, it's really literally how it felt. But so you end up spending the whole week soaking wet through, um, you struggle to breathe when you're running and you can't, it's not even that another frustrating thing about Sri Lanka was the fact that you couldn't even, fully run because the moment you push the moment you started to to pick up the pace and and, and work into a little bit of an effort and a little bit of a speed you risk Overheat. losing control of your core body temperature yeah and and you, and you if you, once you lose control of that then it gets really serious then it gets really dangerous yeah. um did you, did you puke in this race no wow, that's no. amazing dude no no i haven't um have you puked in any races uh no i haven't i, no, I don't kid me no, I don't. Oh. I've, I've. The only time I puked was in a in a rugby. It was a uh, a hills session back when I was about nineteen years old, 
and we had 10 40 meter hill sprints with a walk back recovery and that's the only time i've ever puked um so maybe it's just not Fantastic, am i working man. hard enough i don't know if i'm working hard enough yeah i think you are, I, think you are <laughs> no. I just think maybe i'm a wimp but... <laughs> <laughs> no no but it was just i mean it was a completely different challenge it was it was yeah. more so a battle of survival rather than a battle of um battle of kind of fitness which sounds strange um but there wasn't because it wasn't just the running that you had to deal with or the heat and the humidity uh we were given a card at the start of the race um a, a warning with like the different animals that you might encounter on the trail mm -hmm. um and i was reading the list i was like it just it just blew my mind so the first with dogs buffalo snakes crocodiles monkeys and elephants and it's like i had a little descript description on it, each one like what to do when you face each one it's just like i'm in a different place here my different world like the level of stress was compounded from every single direction and then the evenings for example you'd finish a long run you'd be completely depleted it would take you a good hour to kind of to get back to kind of resting the heat's not going anywhere the humidity's not going anywhere and even in the evening it didn't go below 25 degrees you're sharing a tent with six people and it's still 100 humidity so you don't sleep like i think i slept 10 hours over five days um and you compound that on, on top of everything else and the blisters it's just it was an amazing experience i mean i'm not really selling it here like don't get me wrong so the, the the highs outweighed the lows tenfold but it was brutal it was did, absolutely brutal. did you run into any of those uh animals i did um i had two experiences uh day one sorry not day one day three uh we just done it was about 30 35k in um with only about it's probably 11k left on day three and um i just done 8k through a rice paddy that was really exposed like you can imagine now the heat like there was no shelter and we've been around about eight yeah. kilometers so my water as well i was carrying about i i, I had capacity for 1.5 liters so i had maybe 200 mil left to last me another two and a half k ready to the next checkpoint which at the pace I was going was probably going to take me at least 15 minutes. Like it was, a, it yeah. was a long time. Right. Um, and this is just hot water too, right? It's, it's hot water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's basically evaporating in the bottle already. But, um, but I remember running past or walking past a herd of Buffalo. Now the Buffalo were meant to be domesticated. Um, and I, I can, I can, I can vouch for the fact they, they weren't that domesticated. I remember walking on the, on like a ridge, um, which was separating the, the, the rice paddies and there's a herd of Buffalo on my right. And I thought I was not panicking at all. Just walking past, we'd seen them in the week already. They had kind of shepherds or farmers with them. And, uh, I was walking past and I looked down and I caught eye contact with two Buffalo and they started nodding their heads at me. I was like, Oh, I've not seen that before. That's not a good sign. And I just thought I was calm. I just kept walking past. And as I'm walking past, I could feel, I could feel them just start to move closer and closer. And I thought it's absolutely fine. I'm on a raised bank, which is kind of two meters up from where they're at. They're not going to, they're not going to run on the bank. So I walked past them and all I heard behind me was <laughs> I looked behind these Buffalo there and they started trotting towards me. So I was gone. They Ooh. ran up on that ridge and now they're behind. Oh you. yeah. Oh, they ran up and I went, I pelted it straight through like a, a narrow, uh, a narrow trail thick like thicket on e either side and as i'm sprinting through i get to the other side and what am i running into 
dog the rest of the herd oh geez the rest of the herd so as i catch the rest of the herd i'm like trying to slow myself down luckily the farmer is there uh he sees me running he shouts no like whoa and as he shouts that he kind of runs in front of the buffalo and gives him a big old nudge and manages to to kind of direct them in the different in a, in a different trail oh my gosh i mean so were they were they running after you um i don't know i i mean yeah. it felt like they were <laughs> but i mean you, like had, you 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 redlined it and started like sprinting yeah, yeah. so no i i uh i didn't take any chances let's put it that way right. um right. but no and then the second the second experience was in camp actually um we saw a uh a like three meters into that there was a lake there's a lake at the back of camp and they like the locals yeah yeah go and have a swim you can find a swim on this side it's safe blah, blah 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 and um i remember i went over to have a little wee in the lake the one day uh and there was a a local sri lankan man who was who was boiling our water all week lovely lovely guy um he came running over as i was having a wee so i was like oh pull my pants up quickly and uh he's like look 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 and i looked in the lake and no word of a lie three meters in to the water was the biggest snake i have ever seen a enormous python i've actually got a video on my phone the head the head of it must have been the size of a watermelon like it was honestly insane you were getting ready to get in i mean not anymore <laughs> not at that oh, point. right right right, people, right. Had been, people had been in the day before people had been swimming and i saw this python and obviously the locals are so relaxed about it because they're used to it they're used to it they see them they know if they keep their distance they're not going to do anything about it but seeing seeing a snake that big in real life whoa, because all we see is discovery channels and see them eating small deer and stuff. So you're like, that could have me for breakfast. But um, no, the place was raw. The place was it's like wild. nobody, nobody was swimming at that time though. Right. When the Python. That time. Okay. No, so there's no local. It's like, Oh, it's fine, man. Come on in. They're not going to bother you. They're more scared <laughs> no, of you. <laughs> no, no. You see a local jump in and try and wrestle it. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, no, no one was swimming at the time, but um, oh, it's just amazing. The place was raw. It was wild. It was like being in Jurassic park and the people, the people, were one of the highlights the people yeah. were the highlights so i remember you'd be running these trails all day and not only they thought we were crazy like they were filming us a lot of the time like well, what are these guys doing running in like this 39 degree heat in the middle of summer like they, they couldn't believe it but they would always be outside their houses with a with a big old bucket of water and if ever we we ran past they'd be like hey hey come over and they'd pour water on the back of your neck they'd cool you down they were just it was a real honor a real pleasure to love that to share that with them um i get a similar experience to bali you see a new culture you see a new people and you feel there's just it reminds you there's so much of this world that we need to see there's so much of life that we need to discover um and also these experiences they that you don't look at your phone you hardly look at your phone you, you completely disconnect and, and you are fully present in the moment and that's one of the best parts of it as well is that you just you are there you live in the moment and it makes you realize what's important um genuine human connection i mean you learn more about someone in in five days than you will in a couple of years in that short space of time because it's so intense it's you right and there's a special i, I truly believe there's a special bond through suffering with someone and again I'm, I'm using the word suffering um because we you do but there's there's a real like bond that you create when you you share that type of experience yeah. um it's really fulfilling no, I love it. Nice, nice little chime there to add to the podcast. That was good. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, you know, I, I just had somebody on the podcast, the last one actually, and she rode across the United States and she talked about the humanity of people. 
And I think that's just what it's about, right? It's like, man, we have to come face to face with people to experience what the humanity is like. Yeah. No, we really do. And humanity still exists. It just, mm -hmm. it's all about being people focused. I mean, I think the world, I'm going to go off topic a little bit here, but the world, unfortunately, is, is it's power, it's profit, it's control. Um, I think the moment we're able to, to shift the focus to being people focused, um, I think the world will be a different place and it will change very quickly, but who I'm not going to get into that <laughs> in this podcast, but, um, yeah. Well, talk about, you know, you have these mountaintop moments. That's the product. I mean, you have a goal to finish. I have no doubt that you will finish these, these five races, the ultra X series. Um, but the process is the process more important than the product. Yeah, I think so. They're both, they're both, they're both important. Don't get me wrong. They're like the process, the process is, is, is going to get you to the start line in the best condition possible. And it's give you, it's going to give you the best chance to complete that challenge, however you want to complete it. Um, but the product, the race itself, that's the opportunity to enjoy it. That's the opportunity to, to really see what you're made of to dig deeper than you ever have done during the training process. So the both, both of which are just as, just as important as each other. Um, and I think the process determines how well you perform on the day. That's, that's the difference. I learned that in the four, four I also learned that in my first ultra marathon, like the, the difference is being, I fully prepared for the four, four and I had the best experience ever. I was able to, to enjoy every part of the process. Didn't have any injuries off the back of it because I was so well prepared. Whereas, for my first ultra, it was okay. You've got four and a half weeks to train um, for something you've never done before. That's far outside your comfort zone. It's, it's, it's something that you have no right to complete. But it, but it just shows how capable we are when we actually put our mind to it. Yeah. Um, so both both are important. Is the point but even even in that? So I mean, let's look at the four by forty eight or the the Sri Lanka run. Like the actual process itself, even in the race, is that more important than? just completing the race oh okay i see what you mean so absolutely um if your sri lanka was sri lanka was brutal because if, if your pro if, if your process wasn't right if, if you weren't getting the right balance of electrolytes if you weren't fueling at regular if you weren't eating enough if you weren't recovering enough after after the day had finished you're not only risking um dehydration you're risking overheating you're risking um, injury. Like if the process is not there, your body will break and your mind won't be able to carry you through. So the process is what facilitates that race. And it is important. As much as your mental strength is so important, you wouldn't be able to go out and run five days in the, in the Sri Lankan job without eating, without drinking enough electrolytes. Um, um, so the process is very, and, and even... I, I had my process written down on, on the notes of my phone. I had it written down on notepads. I knew that in the morning I woke up, my kit was already, already ready the night before. I knew I had two hours. I had a two hour window. I woke up at 4 a.m. I ate. And in that time I'd warm up, I'd stretch, I'd hydrate. And I had a system that I was so diligent with. And the same post-race, the same during the race, um, race nutrition during, race nutrition after, afterwards. Um, it's... The process is what facilitates that kind of completion. Um, mm -hmm. It really does. It's so important. And when you reflect, do you think about more about 
and I'm just talking about like the mental experience, but do you think about the more mental experience of the actual running and race and the Buffalo, or do you think about the completion of that? Want to listen to your favorite music, but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today? Tune in to KukoRadio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station. Play nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at KukoRadio.com. When I reflect, I try to break down every single part of the experience. Um, I want to I want to remember everything. I want to look back and when I'm when I'm 80 years old and and look back at my diary and read it and think, oh God, I remember that. And it's detailed, and I can see the lessons that I've learned, see what I did well, what it didn't do, do so well. So I when I reflect, I look back on every part of the process, um, what I could have done better. Um, did I time it properly? Did I eat enough? It, but also the experiences um <laughs> that how how i felt when the buffalo started chasing me what my body did in that moment um some sometimes it's, it's easy to get caught up to, like sometimes we overcomplicate it but I, I think in this instance the more detail that you can remember like the more you'll be able to remember the experience the more you'll be able to learn from it um, yeah. and because they're so extreme the more it's almost like data isn't it it's the more data you have like the the better prepared you will be when you can move forward and also the more data you have the more lessons you can learn about life i mean the lessons you learn during an ultra marathon are very very um transferable to life in the same way the lessons i learned as a professional athlete were transferable to life it's the discipline your work ethic your attention to detail that your grit your determination your willingness to to to, to, there is so much crossover um and the biggest lesson i learned with, with from sri lanka which i learned on, upon reflection was that it's all about pacing you get your pacing wrong you get your pacing wrong you push that a little bit too hard you overheat your race is over like you you're it's detrimental to your health and in the same way in life you get your pacing wrong in life you say yes to too many things you give yourself too much to do, you can become overwhelmed by, by everything and, and your mental health will suffer. So it's, there are so many lessons to learn from these. It's another reason why I love diving in the deep end into these things, because I know I'm going to learn something about myself, like something new every single time. Or if I don't learn something new, it's just going to, going to cement an idea that I already know that it's just going to, I don't know, it's going to, it's, it's going to be stronger within me, you know? Um, they are fantastic teachers. Yeah. They are fantastic. Yeah. I always say we get the test first and then we get the lesson afterwards, man. Yeah. Lewis, one more question, sir. What question should I be asking that I'm not asking? <laughs> um, I'm not too sure. I'll have to give me a minute here. <laughs> uh, it's almost like, how do you know? How do you know when to push forward? And how do you know 
when the right time is to to pull back. Um, Good one. It's uh, even now, like I can relate to both things. Life at the moment for me, I said to you at the start of the call, like, I almost feel like a bit of an imposter, and like what, and I think I'm guilty at the moment of saying yes to too many things in life. Um, I do feel overwhelmed at the moment. Um, how do I know when to pull back, but when to when to keep moving forward and keep attacking that to do list and keep actioning. And when do I, how do I know when to, when I actually need this time and space, like in the same thing in a race, how do you know if you've got a small niggle, how do you know whether you should push through that because it's going to get better? Or how do you know that you need to pull back because it's going to, you're going to risk injury and then you won't be able to finish what you need to do. It's, um, I think that's the question is how, how do you know when to move forward and when to pull back? Can you uh, give us that answer there, sir? It depends. You you run with it. It's your show, brother. You run with it, man. But that 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 is that is the uh, that would be my answer. It, it depends. Um, it really does depend. Um, well, how does how does Lewis know when to push on and then when to be able to pull back? Lewis is learning that every single race. Um, so far in race experiences every decision has been to keep moving forward to keep pushing forward because because i i've made the right decision i worry that because i am all or nothing that's the, the personality i have i i worry that when the time comes i might make the wrong decision i don't know um I think it's a gut, it's, it's your gut instinct. It's really hard to answer that question now because I'm not in the moment where I need to make that decision. In, if I relate it to life right now, where I feel this feeling of overwhelm, right now I, I, I should probably keep pushing forward because I know there's a, I've got a race coming, but then I don't know. It, it's, um, I've stumped myself is the answer. <laughs> I've stumped myself. Um, tell, tell, tell me just more about trusting your gut. I think we all know deep down what the right decision is to make. And it's having the courage. It's having the courage to, to, to listen and to, to move mm. forward despite what it's discipline as well it's, it, discipline comes into it um, it's coming back to like why you're doing what you're doing so I'm sorry I don't have a, an eloquent answer for how to trust your gut instinct but it's a feeling that you get you know deep down what the right answer is. A lot of the time, you just need the courage to listen uh, and to act on it. I dig that, man. I think simple is powerful. Mm. Now, Lewis, man, what if people want to follow you, um, support your movement, uh, especially Big Moose? Where, where's the best place to go? Sure, we'll so put all the links in there. 
Yeah, sure. The easiest place is uh, on my Instagram, which is at Lewis underscore Robling. Um, and there's a link on there with the, there's a link tree with different uh, links where you can find the Big Moose Just Giving page. Um, and then if you wanted to learn more about Big Moose as well, I'm sure we can link the, the website in. Um, but on my, on my Just Giving page will be the story so you can read through my experience with it in there. Awesome. Brother, thanks so much for, for taking the time, man, and, and insight and wishing you all the best this year, man. I know you're going to crush it. Thanks, Rob. We'll see. I, I'm looking forward to us for sure. Cheers. Thanks. listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.